Hello and welcome back guys. How are you doing? Keeping well? You are obviously listening to My Surrogacy Journey, the podcast, season two. We're back for another incredible episode and you are going to really enjoy this one. Yes, we are with some of our favourite people. I am Michael, Wes's better half. We're back in the studio, uh, but this time we're in Dublin. So thanks for downloading us again. So as we told you last week, this episode is a bit of a special. It's a two-parter. And this is part two, isn't it, Wes? It is. It is. And I hope you have been eagerly waiting for this release. I hope so too. We've got some amazing guests and this was such a rich episode that we just had to let you hear all of it in two parts. So uh, enjoy. This episode also is proudly supported by Sims IVF in Ireland. Sims IVF, with over two decades of experience, they are the leading name in fertility treatments in Ireland, dedicated to bringing hope and happiness to many couples and individuals. They understand that each journey is unique, and that's why at Sims IVF, they offer personalised care tailored to your needs. Sims IVF is committed to your family journey. Take the first step towards your future today. Visit their website at sims.ie to learn more about their services and success stories. So today we're talking to Annette Hickey, Irish Families Through Surrogacy and Armand Key Paternity Services. So we are thrilled to be joined by Annette, Sinead and Audrey. So Sinead, let's ask you a question now. You've, you're, you've kind of out of the other end. A veteran. <laughs> what are the, some of the things that you would have done differently? And what's, what are some of the things that you would say to intended parents embarking on their journey right now that they should kind of consider? Well, I suppose for me personally, um, I wouldn't change like how I went through it um, back in 2021. I suppose at the time there, there wasn't obviously the supports that were in place now in terms of organisations and the publicity around surrogacy. So like we're, uh, people are a lot more informed nowadays, but I feel like we went through it in the safest possible way. Yeah, we did our own research. We followed all the guidelines. We would have spoken, obviously, to our um, independent lawyer. And that was important to us that we made sure that our lawyer wasn't actually like, you know, getting payments from agencies or anything like that. Like Uh that was really important that we weren't being exploited in that sense. I suppose we fully trusted Annette when we um, embarked on the journey. When we did it, there was no war in the Ukraine. So for me, like the legal and the safe framework was in place over there. Like I was legally recognised as Theo's mum over there. Um, Ormond Key like had like really well established links with um, Ukraine, the DFA, obviously. And, you know, the court process when we came home, there was no issues with the Ukraine. My clinic, when I embarked on the journey back in 2021, I couldn't comment now, um, but I felt like the safeguards were in place for my surrogate, that she was well looked after and that she made her own decision to embark on surrogacy and be our surrogate. She um, would have got support in terms of like psychological um, services um, if she wanted it. I had a connection there with our surrogate as well through our clinic uh, coordinator. So she had her own independent lawyer, like all those like safety mechanisms that anyone embarking on even surrogacy now should be looking at were in place for us when I embarked on that journey back then. Uh-huh. I definitely couldn't comment now on where I would look to because when myself and Mark had completed our surrogacy journey, 
we had um, like a high court um, proceedings um, when we came home because of the the COVID. Um, there was hotel quarantine, so it was quite um, a traumatic time. Even though we had the blessing of Theo, um, so Mark kind of made that decision that he could never embark on another surrogacy journey okay. if we wanted to have more children at the time. Um, that was a decision like we came to as a couple that there was an awful lot of, I suppose, like, yeah, we haven't really like spoken in huge detail about everything that unfolded, but there's, it was, it was really, really tough. And triggering, us. you know. It was really triggering. And there's parts of that week after we had Theo that we've kind of blocked out because it was yeah. quite difficult. And Annette would have met us after that. Mm. Yeah. That was the first did. podcast. Yes, yes, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Much, yeah. So, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. Sinead and Mark were responsible for surrogacy, put had been put in Irish legislation for the first time when the Minister for Health granted an exemption for mandatory hotel quarantine. That's it, because we did that yeah. recording, didn't we? Yeah, yeah so it, it was, it, it was, I wouldn't change it if I was to go back again. I still fight every day for Theo, like I'm still fighting now, you know, to have him legally, legally recognised as my son. But yeah, it wasn't something that we'd envisaged and we'd experienced so much, like, trauma gone through uh -huh. the IVF journey and the infertility for the few years and kind of feel like part of what was stolen from us over there was surrounded by all the you know the the media and the the high court proceedings but I wouldn't change it it's just it was very very difficult um okay. and it wasn't something that I think Mark just couldn't ever go through it again um so we would never embark on another, mm. like another surrogacy journey ourselves. But you do need to make sure that where you're going, it's safe. There's a legal framework in place in that country that um, there's like a solicitor in the country, uh, the place where you're going to embark on the surrogacy that you have, like a solicitor in Ireland. Um, you need to like engage with the clinics, make sure, ask questions like Annette mm. was saying, ask those questions, those hard questions. Make sure your surrogate isn't from a different country to the, where the surrogacy arrangement is taking place. Which we've seen so much at the minute. Yeah, there's a huge we're amount of that going so on. That's a huge, huge red flag. Massively so. You know, and Massively question so. yourself if you're taught, like uh, my own personal opinion of it is if I was going through another surrogacy journey, would I be embarking on a surrogacy journey where the surrogate wasn't living in that country? Absolutely not. Because how can you ensure that that surrogate is being looked after when she's not even physically in that country? Like in the country that she may be from, there probably isn't surrogacy laws. Like mm -hmm. there's different jurisdictions of law. Like how how can you tell if you have no visibility on the surrogate that they're being looked after? Like are they being flown back for scans? Yeah. How is the medical treatment followed up? Like they are carrying your child yeah. at the end of the day. So think about what you're doing. You need to like ask those hard questions. You need to kind of engage with people that have gone through the process, not just solicitors themselves, but people that have, have lived experiences. Yeah. Speak to people. Mm -hmm. People in different countries have different experiences. Um, but like engage with people. Make sure like that it's like that the DFA have it like recognised, like yeah. that there's embassies there that, you know, there's ways and means of coming out and exiting out of that country. There's, there's a, the list goes on, but if you engage with the right people, you can get the right information. And what about those people that are considering going back to the Ukraine? Now, when you talk about 
surrogates being safe and being from a particular country where they live. For, for some people, completing their family where their embryos may already be, you know, again, you're blinkered to to making a decision based on that. Yeah, hugely. Like, and I, I, do you know, like from speaking with people, I know people that have maybe are re-engaging with the surrogate that carried the first child or like siblings and look, it's it's down to like, I'm not going to judge people for their decisions. I'm, you know, I'm standing here with my three babies at home and like I haven't had to go down a surrogacy route again, uh, but I know others that have no other option but to go down that route. So I'm not going to sit here and judge people for their decisions, but I would say think about how are they going to protect a surrogate when there is a war like what like ask the questions what type of medical provisions and psychological support are being given to those surrogates at the end of the day my own feeling of it is can they guarantee the safety of a surrogate with a war no they can't yeah can they provide what they provided back when it was pre-war times no they can't heed the advice that dfa have given but people will make their own decisions. And it's not for us to judge. If someone is listening now where that is their yeah. option that's on the table for them, it's it's doing the things that you've said, ask the questions. Yeah, you're still recognising the Ukraine as the legal mother, whereas some of the other countries that are offering surrogacy right now don't have those safeguards in terms of the, the legal side of it. So people are, I suppose, weighing up different things, but and maybe choosing where they know they're being considered the legal mother and traditionally a few years ago there was kind of three main options it Uh was mainly like Canada the US and Ukraine yeah and obviously like since the war has broken out the landscape has changed drastically so countries that were offering it are now offering it in a bigger sense and from my understanding a lot of what's going on in some of the other countries that are offering isn't particularly safe so it's very hard for intended parents because some of them are looking to the US, but financially it's, it's just it's, 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 it's just unachievable. Out of, it's unachievable and um people are remortgaging and times are difficult for people and the financial constraints of what's going on, I suppose, are dictating people's choices as well. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately people are being exploited yeah. and that's what's happening. It, not just with intended parents, but it's really sad what's happening with, with surrogates. Like sure. out absolutely. There. Sure. Absolutely. Annette, what's the kind of government stance on people going to Ukraine? You know, I heard that the government will continue to support people if they choose to go to that destination. What's the stance? The Irish Department of Foreign Affairs have given very, 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 very strong advice not to pursue surrogacy in the Ukraine. The Irish government and the Irish Department of Foreign Affairs will not ever abandon an Irish baby. If anybody listening um, is considering surrogacy in the Ukraine, I would um, advise that you contact the DFA. Their travel advisory is on the website. There is your solicitor would have, there is a Department of Foreign Affairs, a Ukraine sort of a, a team. And um, if you contact them, they will give you their most up-to-date advice, their up-to-date position on how things are in the Ukraine, what support and services they are providing. Yeah, I've heard stories myself from other 
parties alleging that the Irish Department of Foreign Affairs were going to be dreadful people and we're going to sort of, you know, nearly, you know, be getting really, really cross with Irish intended and really this and really that and really the other and almost, you know, creating obstacles or sort of inverted commas abandoning. That is absolutely not true. Get the facts. If you hear anything about the Department of Foreign Affairs, listen to it if you get it out of the mouth of your surrogacy solicitor here in Ireland or you get it directly from the Department of Foreign Affairs, um, you know, from their email. Another thing from a legal point of view, just if anybody's listening in and if you are um, pursuing surrogacy in a country where the birth is going to take place in that particular country and your surrogate is from a different country and is going to return to that country after birth, she will need to have an independent lawyer in the country of birth in the context of the emergency travel certificate application process. When she returns to her home country, the Irish court proceedings would be served upon her there, on her um, husband if he is married. They will need an independent lawyer available to them in that country to advise them in relation to these court proceedings. So starting the journey, if you are considering pursuing surrogacy with a particular country, a particular agency, if it is a situation where the ba- your baby is going to be born in one country and your surrogate is going to be returning to another country, uh, before treatment takes place, before any documentation is signed, please um, ensure that you're given the contact details of your surrogate's independent lawyer in the country of birth and also in the country that she's returning to. Because it may be a situation that your surrogate may be travelling from a country where surrogacy, that there's different regulations or it may be prohibited. So you, at that stage, when you think about it, you'll be back here in Ireland. The court proceedings will have started all other intermediaries and parties involved will have left the building. Yeah. You'll be here in Ireland and you will be wanting to protect your family in Ireland. And we will be, your Irish solicitors and Irish legal process will be serving uh, court documents on your surrogate. She will need to have legal advice in relation to those documentation in relation to the applications we brought in, in Ireland. You know, don't find yourself on your own at that stage going, oh, dear God, where is this? How am I going to? So, again, it's it's steps. It's almost like when you're starting a surrogacy journey, kind of looking at it at the start. How ethical, how safe? What's the story? What's the Department of Foreign Affairs advising? What's going on here? Okay, and you satisfy yourself and intended parents are adults and they make their decision. But once it's fully informed, no, like, you know, it's not for me to judge then I think it's really important that you look at the end of the journey. You're back in Ireland. You get your court proceedings. Who and what do you need along the way? You need independent lawyers for your surrogate. You need Ormond Key. You need an embassy. So step it back to ensure that you can get yourself to that point where ultimately you get your court order um, here in Ireland and you can get an Irish passport for your baby. So that's the way I would kind of like start at the start. Settle it all up, make sure it's all solid, safe and that it, it sit, sits well with you and then step it back from the end. Great advice. Great advice. A quick one for you, Audrey. So if people were considering Ukraine still, uh, are you still able to offer those services in Ukraine right now? They're done differently now because of the war. So they provide the emergency travel certificate for the child to come home. And then the um, the intended parents sign a letter of undertaking to have the DNA test done within five working days of arriving back in the States. So it's like a retrospective process now. Yeah, 
Okay. Make sure that you act, you have everything in order. You do not book your flights until you have the emergency travel certificate in your hand or you've been given a set date for it. Um, we will do everything we can possibly um, to minimise any delay. But of course, you have to allow the extra day or two on either side for a delay. But um, isn't it as well, just sorry to jump in there, you also have a time limit to um, disembark the company, the, the country as well, don't you? Once like they we had, had your, once we had everything in place, we had to. You see, you could have put somebody. So, say your emergency travel certificate issues, like say this Saturday, the the DFA will give you the emergency travel certificate when you give them the, your flight details. So they'll want to know. I, I, they're not going to give you an emergency travel certificate with a two week lifespan on home via Spain because I know I'm not going to have a. a I'm not going to get a, an Irish passport for a long period of time. Mm. It'll be like I'm going home via. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's that's just important. The three days or whatever to get you from. So if I'm coming from wherever, say if it's Greece or Georgia, yeah. it could take from, to fly from Tbilisi to get into Dublin or Shana could take me two days or three days. So they give the, the lifespan of the emergency travel certificate covers that trip to get you back to Ireland and you hand over the emergency travel certificate of passport control when you come in. So the issue would be where people are under pressure like and they're saying, oh my God, the flights are, are booking up or whatever. So we're going to book and we flights booked this Friday. And it's like, you're not, we're not going to get the emergency travel certificate for Friday. And then people get a bit excited and they can get. Yeah, I think it's really important because that's something some people wouldn't be fully aware of. Um, so it's it's making sure that, yeah, you're not booking those flights yeah. until you have that in your hand. And I know it's really difficult because you have that excitement of bringing your baby home. And you like, may have you, to you know, wait and it could mean a couple of days, you know, but then at least or else you take the risk. You book if you book those flights before you have the ETC. The Irish government or the Department of Foreign Affairs are going to look for your dates to put into the ETC and the DFA are not going to be too interested. You say, oh, I've spent a thousand euros on flights, so I need my ETC for today and you're not going to give me the ETC until tomorrow. They'll go. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and, and Audrey, how long on, on average are people waiting to be to return? What What's kind of the average? I, suppose, I know it depends on country, but generally it, it what's does. the... Um, well, Northern Cyprus at, at the moment, I suppose, once we get an appointment set and it's carried out within about 24 hours from the confirmation date, we have about two to three days to get the shipment to the laboratory. It can probably take about between two and three weeks from time baby is born. Now it is, it's getting quicker each time. But I mean, of course, there will be delays like if there's issues with paperwork that's not filled out properly or the birth certificate hasn't been, you know, completed properly. That will delay for the, the DNA test for orders like at orders level at that stage the documentation someone doesn't need to, doesn't need to be apostilled no. and say in North Cyprus they look for an affidavit from the translator notarised an apostilled the DFA are all over it like so what can happen then is so say you get the DNA test result back and that's then there's there's 15 documents that the DFA have to get and they will go through it with a fine tooth comb. They will be analysing, they will be ensuring that they are absolutely as they specified. If they're not exactly as they specified, so say if they're going through, you know, they will send them back and they will say, so if there's a, a date or a, some error or something very, you know, that you might think, oh, that's not really important, whatever, something very minor on an affidavit, it has to be perfect. If it's not right, it'll be sent back. It's got to be done from scratch again. The Department of Foreign Affairs in their advisory when any intended parents write to them about the emergency travel certificate process will say that we do not give any guarantees with regard to any time frame. Like the issuance of an emergency travel certificate is an extremely, it's an extremely important document. You know, it is a big deal. 
Um, and I think from kind of practical experience, the solicitors, I think here in Ireland, we would normally say an ETC post birth would be you've got a bank on being in the country of birth for a minimum of four weeks. It could be six weeks, it could be eight weeks, but a minimum of four weeks. Uh, once it gets outside of four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, that means um, there's little issues with documents or bits and pieces. Um, so that's where preparation is so important. Anything less than four weeks is, you know, everybody has worked very efficiently um, to get everything done because documents have to be translated, they have to be notarized, they have to be apostilled. Which is, for me, why you would engage with Audrey and the team as early as possible to get everything teed up so that you are, when you are at the point where that those services kick in, you know, you're as prepared as you can be and then you can potentially as exit in the most efficient time frame as possible. Exactly. And what we would always suggest is before birth, maybe at about 30 weeks to have a Zoom, everybody involved. It's like, you know, the project exit process um, you know, we know how Audrey works. We know Armand Key are 100%. At that stage, people should have booked in. If they haven't, we remind them to book in with Armand Key Paternity Services. But the people on that call would be whoever is the coordinator in the country of birth. What's their role? What's their responsibility? Are they looking after the birth certificate? The surrogate's lawyer, uh, the Irish solicitor and the intended parents. And we literally step out. It's like, you know, almost like dominoes. What's going to happen? D-Day is birth. So that's day zero. So how many days then to the birth certificate? How many days then to get that? How many days, to, you know, who's going to contact Audrey and let her know, confirm the date that the birth has happened? Um, you know, the surrogate's lawyer, you know, when are you going to start working on the affidavits of consent? The surrogate's affidavit of consent can only be signed after the birth. You know, the notarising, the apostating. How many days is that going to take? How many? So that and then, you know, well, if we are there any state holidays in the country in, you know, around that time is the consul, is our consul taking holidays? So is everybody lined up? So it's almost like project kind of, you know, exit. And then a lot of intended parents will request, like, say, a WhatsApp group with the coordinator, the surrogate's independent lawyer and the Irish solicitor in that WhatsApp group. Really, our role, I suppose, in the WhatsApp group, because it's it's happening in the country of birth, is just to kind of uh, try and keep everybody's time expectations in check and double check are kind of like from this end, has so-and-so done whatever as regards the birth cert? What stage are we at? What stage are we at? Because for the intended parents, as Sinead said, you know, you're busy looking after your baby. And oftentimes people say, what should be happening next? And who's, you know, so we're just kind of chasing up the relevant people who are working actively on the exit um, in the country of birth. The intended parents bring with them, the father brings his original birth certificate um, and his passport with him. The moment in the absence of legislation, the Department of Foreign Affairs do not need to see any documentation for the second parent. So once the intended parent is bringing the, the biological father has that document, those two documents with him, the rest of it happens on the ground in the country of birth. So um, as like it's a lot of it's preparation and it's stepping it out and just kind of it's like a project, managing the project to move it through. And I think you raise really one key bit there and that is that you're, in, you're potentially a new parent or you're, you, you've extended your family and your head is not where it needs to be with like kind of getting project exit in place. So the more you can do in advance, the better. Are you seeing any new emerging destinations as a result of needing to do your checks and balances? Greece 
there's been one for Greece, but that's only one inquiry. Nothing out of the ordinary, ordinary okay. at the yes. moment. That's good. Yes. I'm glad that that's where we're going. But we're, it is, but, but we are hearing. There's, there's a there's always a lag, isn't there? Yeah. You no, know, mm-hmm. you're hearing about them. Mm-hmm hopefully at the start of the journey, but often, you know, the latter part of their journey when they're already ready to come back. You know, we are hearing about places like Turkmenistan, you know, Ghana. There's there's lot there's a lot more destinations that are kind of on the total global landscape now. Yeah. You know, we're hearing intermediaries talking about some of those destinations. And you know, I used to live in Turkmenistan for a really short period of time. And if to me it doesn't strike me as a place where it would be considering everyone's welfare. So I think, although you're not seeing them yet, I do think that's coming from the destinations we're hearing about. Yeah, Yeah, and I think that's the number one reason we need this legislation Mm. really, isn't it? Because those type of destinations won't feature um, Mm -hmm. for parents, intended parents, going forward into the future because we'll have the regulation, the safety, it's all ethical. Um, And that's, that's the overriding need we have for future surrogacy arrangements to stop and all that the, exploitation happening. This pre-approved list of countries yes. which, yes. you know, are... Meet the requirement. Meet, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I that, think in the meantime, sorry for cutting in, but this, like if I could have one like clear message from today for anybody out there, it's as you say, there are other countries. There's a lot of kind of uncertainty out there and... Um, by its very nature, a surrogacy journey can take like 10, 12, however many months. So if you're deciding and you're saying, oh, you know, I've been promised this, that, noted by the agency, or they said this or they said that, stop. Is there an, an embassy? Is there a consulate? Contact Audrey and Armand Key, say, hello, in X months time, I might be looking to get a DNA test out of whatever country. Um, you know, people like contact your Irish solicitor and say, I've been like, you know, met this amazing person from this agency who promised me that I'm going to have a baby in two years in X country. Isn't that amazing? And then, but we break it down so we can, between Armand Key, between the solicitor here in Ireland, between, and then saying, well, who, you know, it it will start a process of asking questions so that um, nobody, 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 nobody wants to see um, an Irish baby or an Irish couple caught in like, you know, where a child is born and it's like then going, oh, dear God, what happens now? Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. And let's you just kind of spark something in me then. And how let's talk about because you get a lot of like on social media, a lot of kind of like offers of guaranteed 100 percent returns process, guaranteed baby. What's everyone's view on that? Because I know that when you have been trying for such a long time to have that guarantee in front of you is, is really appealing, isn't it? So how would you approach that? Because we're seeing it more and more and, and they're giving these guarantees to people saying that 100% this guaranteed baby, guaranteed like unlimited package. What I always do, and I promise to be quiet, is I say, what is the guarantee? Put the word guarantee on the page there and give me the bullet points. What have they guaranteed you? Okay, and underneath that, so they've guaranteed you a baby within two years. How? Guaranteed. No risk, no nothing. 100% you're going to have a baby. I mean, you know, whatever higher force you believe in, there's no one can do that unless sort of like a miracle worker or yeah, a magician, you know. Absolutely. And what we've mm-hmm. learned by working in this industry, there are no guarantees. So don't no. pay additional for these guarantees, but be really yeah. clear about if you are paying extra, because inevitably you are, what are you getting for that additional? Yeah, so I actually have personal experience with that. Um, Myself and Mark chose a guarantee package um, 
with our clinic in um, Kiev. I was chatting to people and they were saying, you know, saying about this guaranteed baby. That's how it was. It wasn't marketed towards us that way. So that would be definitely a red flag for intended parents if a clinic or an organisation are coming on and saying they're guaranteeing a baby. So the guarantee package for us was um, it made more financial sense for us as a couple um, that like we wouldn't have had the money to keep going and going again if like a couple of attempts had failed in a surrogate. So the guarantee package in our clinic, literally what they did was when they, we asked them in our first consultation, they sent through the different packages to us. They didn't, like they brought us back on a call then like again after we had gone through and researched what was included in the different packages. So that like would definitely be something like intended parents would need to look for that. They're, you're, they're giving you like as intended parents the responsibility to look at the packages, what it includes. You can go back and ask them questions yeah. then on the packages, but they shouldn't be trying to sell you one package in particular and yeah. making these promises that they can't they can't keep. It's like anyone who has fertility issues or like nobody can like guarantee a baby. But it's, that's your vulnerability though, isn't it? But that's it? how intended parents are like exploited. Totally. Within our package was costs of accommodation. So we didn't actually have to then get extra additional money up when we went over. Like any time we went over as well for like to go and visit the clinic, like prior to us even like signing contracts and stuff, our accommodation was included in a hotel. Like so it was those little bits that were included. And um, our package also included more for the surrogate. So the surrogate had more expenses for clothing, for vitamins. So we looked at the surrogate in the programme as well. Like what was going to give our surrogate the, the, the best, I suppose, um, opportunity to access services and that she was supported fully throughout the programme. So they're all the little small bits that you need to be looking at. Not if a clinic are saying to you, we're guaranteeing you a baby, then you need to really think about the clinic that you're being advised by. But it and sounded like you did your due diligence on it. Yeah, but I suppose our clinic through. gave us the opportunity to go away. Mm. They weren't, they didn't market it towards us like that. So they didn't push something like that on us. Like, so to me, if they had done that for me and Mark sitting there, that would have definitely been a red flag for us. But, you know, for for others, it wouldn't be a red flag because, you know, maybe they've had quite a traumatic experience prior to them commencing the surrogacy and or, you know, different personalities wouldn't pick up on certain things either. Do you know? Yeah. And I think I think what's fair to say, probably where your journey began and where we are now, we we seem to be in this unfortunate situation where marketing on social media of these programs is becoming more and more normalized whereas yeah. these programs are popping up in more and more countries where i get the sponsored ads on on facebook and instagram these guaranteed baby programs because mm. i clearly fit a profile but i don't think it's purely just surrogacy that's doing that I, there's ivf clinics as well around the world that are doing the exact same thing so it's not just a surrogacy related issue it's also yeah. it's the fertility world mm -hmm. that are yeah, trying to yeah. Do this, and that's how they're trying to market it. They're exploiting people by doing it. Mm -hmm. But you know, some people are getting sucked in, unfortunately. Well, listener, I'm sure your head is as fried as mine because there's <laughs> lots of different components. <laughs> so to think many about. things to but think about. But I think if uh, you take anywhere anything away from this episode, it is taking the advice from the professionals and the lived experience and the organisations that we've just heard from. 
Preparation is key and knowing exactly what your journey looks like and all of the individual components, I think, is a really, really essential part of planning for a journey. Links to all of the professionals on today's podcast and their organisations will all be in our show notes. So, ladies, thank you so much. It's been amazing. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks Thanks for uh, coming along. See you soon. Take care. Thank you. Bye. 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 Well, (laughs) I don't quite know where to start. That was an information overload. And I'm sure for you, listener, that was a lot to take in. And that's absolutely fine because this is the world of surrogacy. But I just know, Wes, that the information there from, from those three was just people at the top of their game know this market inside out what do you think i do and i think it's about doing it well and i think it's about taking each of them in sizable chunks investigating all of them and then looking at how that works for you you know you've been given some really sound advice and you know you take away from that what you think is right for you uh if you are considering surrogacy internationally then please reach out check out the pathways that we have specifically for Irish citizens. We have pathways in the USA and we have our real ethical program um, in Mexico City, which uh, is, is something that you should look at and explore. This episode is proudly supported by Sims IVF in Ireland. Sims IVF, with over two decades of experience, they are the leading name in fertility treatments in Ireland, dedicated to bringing hope and happiness to many couples and individuals. They understand that each journey is unique, and that's why at Sims IVF, they offer personalised care tailored to your needs. Sims IVF is committed to your family journey. Take the first step towards your future today. Visit their website at sims.ie to learn more about their services and success stories. And if you want to find out more about My Surrogacy Journey, then please head over to our website, which is mysurrogacyjourney.com or find us on Instagram at officialmysurrogacyjourney. If you like this episode, then please subscribe to the series and we will have another episode coming out every single week. Thank you for listening. We have been My Surrogacy Journey, the podcast hosts. Goodbye. Goodbye.